Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can find my contact information there as well. So in honor of the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, we're going to take right now a one-episode break from the Vegan Voices series that has been ongoing for a few episodes, and I want to talk about tradition and turkeys. It'll be just me flying solo, just you and me for this one today. And we, so we've had four authors from the Vegan Voices Anthology in this Vegan Voices series before this episode. And then after this episode, we'll have three more authors to finish up the series. And then at the end of December, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to have kind of a light family show, and I'm going to invite my husband on as our guest. Kojin Bohannock is my husband, and we have been together for 21 years. We've both been vegan longer than that. And we've had numerous random rescue, animal rescue situations over the years. I've mentioned before on the podcast that animals in dire circumstances tend to find me, or or other way around, I happen to be in places randomly where there are animals in trouble. And Kojin has been there with me by my side over the years for several of these rescue situations, and I thought it would be fun to tell some of those stories, for us both to tell those stories. So we're going to tell the stories of rescuing a rabbit from the freeway, a kitten from the woods, and helping a bear in Tahoe. Totally random, but at least we think they're interesting stories. So there's an old tradition of telling stories at the holidays before we used to watch movies. So I thought it might be fun, something different. And uh, that'll be coming up late December in about a month. But for today, I want to focus on the November holiday of Thanksgiving in the U.S. and talk about tradition. So my notes today are from an article that I wrote a few years back at this time of year that was called Dying Traditions. That's what the article was called, and I'll read some parts of it. I want to also acknowledge Thanksgiving as a... (laughs) cover story or cover up for the true atrocity of the genocide against the native people of this land. I read somewhere recently that uh, Native Americans call this holiday Thanksgiving. Some Native Americans call it Thanksgiving, quite appropriate and terrible. So there are, well, there's a lot to examine around this holiday. So I'll start with a quote from Bernard Rowland, Bernard E. Rowland, Immorality, sanctified as tradition, is still immorality. So I'll start by reading the first part of this article. So I wrote, Tradition. We hold on to it like the railing at the top of the Grand Canyon. Traditions can be important to a society. They shape who we are. But every culture's tradition must be scrutinized by each executive generation for ethical and moral flaws. 
And I'll add a side note that we should always look to our own culture's traditions before criticizing others. There's plenty to address in our own culture, whatever that culture is, uh, around animals and treatment of others. So rather than telling other cultures what to do, we should look to our own culture first. And this tradition of eating, killing and eating turkeys at Thanksgiving, of course, is uh, my U.S. tradition. Throughout history, many traditions that were once considered natural and normal for generations were eventually deemed outdated or cruel or simply no longer necessary. Traditions come and go, even though they seem very static, very long-standing, and some are, of course, but uh, traditions can be very malleable. And some traditions are positive and make society stronger and more stable, but some prove to weaken our character, damage our health, damage our spirit, and are cruel to others. And of course, the tradition that we must scrutinize today is the merciless killing of billions of farmed animals for our food, and particularly poignant this month, the Thanksgiving turkey. So there is an iconic image in the U.S., that Norman Rockwell image of the family coming together and the centerpiece, the focal point, is this huge dead bird on a platter in the middle of the table. And that image is just rooted in our psyche. It's the epitome of tradition. And it's, it's, it's like Thanksgiving just wouldn't be the same if we didn't have this avian carcass smack in the middle of the dining room table. <laughs> and as I say in the article, what was traditionally seen simply as food by older generations requires deeper reflection and examination with new eyes by the younger generations. The deceased turkey, lying exposed on her back, with feathers ripped from her body, decapitated, limbs severed, and organs ripped from her belly through her anal cavity, certainly suffered a horrible fate, along with millions of other birds of her kind. Hiding behind tradition and masking violence with the euphemisms of gratitude does nothing to ease the turkey's misery. We often see tradition as very consistent and continuous and long-standing, but some traditions that we believe are as old as the hills are in fact fairly recent developments. The tradition of giving an engagement ring to a potential marital partner, uh, that started less than a century ago, just in 1938. It was a marketing scheme by a diamond company. So that doesn't go back very far, but it seems so embedded in our culture, right? And that a marriage proposal just wouldn't be uh, the same without presenting a ring, at least by most traditional folks thinking. And then on the other side, there are some traditions from our recent past that do have very ancient origins, but have been left behind by modern society. One of those is a hopeful husband acquiring matrimonial permission from a potential bride's father. Uh, another is a daughter's family negotiating a dowry for her marriage. You know, 
these would, of course, be seen today as incredibly, in the U.S., demeaning to the woman. And, you know, we recognize that she has the right to choose her own spouse and her own destiny. But just as recently as the late 19th century, this tradition, the dowry tradition, was thriving among upper class, upper and middle class uh, in the United States. Yet society eventually deemed this practice old-fashioned and even came to see it as shameful that a young woman would be treated as a piece of property to be exchanged. So this tradition has fallen out of favor and has fortunately vanished. So coming back to turkeys, as the reality of the plight of farmed animals is coming to light over the last few decades, thanks to the animal rights movement and the vegan movement, Uh, I'll, I'll quote here from my article, the ethical ramifications of this traditional mainstay holiday feature, the dead bird at Thanksgiving, must become the subject of scrutiny. So I want to talk a bit about how turkeys are raised and uh, bred and killed in the meat industry. This may be information that you know a bit about. I don't want to get into too much gory detail, and I won't. But I do want to touch on some things that you might not know that are specific to a turkey's experience. I also want to talk a bit about humanely raised and free range and those labels because we're seeing those more and more prominently on turkey meat products. So turkeys are confined a lot like chickens that are bred for their meat. They're packed into these long windowless buildings by the thousands, uh, these overcrowded floor systems where they're forced to live in their own waste. They're breathing the ammonia fumes of their own waste. There's irritating dust. It causes uh, respiratory disease, uh, ulcerated feet and blistered breasts, ammonia burned eyes and throats. It's just miserable, absolutely miserable in there. Turkeys have been bred to grow so fast and they become so heavy that their bones are too weak to support their weight. And they suffer from leg deformities, arthritis, joint pain. It, it's so severe sometimes that they're forced to walk on their wings. They have to use their wings as crutches to reach food and water. This is just in the first few months of life. They don't even get a year of life. They are slaughtered before their first birthday. And even though they can live up to 20 years or more, they live about twice as long as chickens do, they're slaughtered anywhere around 12 to 24 weeks of life. And they've been so genetically manipulated to grow too large, too fast, that they develop congestive heart disease, lung disease, engorged coronary blood vessels, enlarged livers. I mean, the list of ailments that are common to these poor birds goes on and on. And again, it's just in their first few months of life. They're violently handled, carried upside down by their legs, thrown forcefully into the transport trucks. They're jammed in these crates. They travel uh, to the slaughterhouse with without food or water or weather protection for days. Uh, there's no U.S. laws that regulate the treatment of turkeys or, or chickens or ducks or any other bird uh, that's being bred and killed for food during handling or transport or slaughter. There's nothing that protects them. And I know there's some out there that at this point are probably thinking, 
well, but what about humanely raised or free range? And that's got to be better. I mean, they sell turkeys at Whole Foods. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. So as vegans and animal activists have been successfully exposing these horrors that I've been talking about, consumers are becoming more aware and they are becoming concerned about the miserable conditions that these birds endure. So companies are attempting to appease those consumers by describing the turkey meat as humane or free range or you know certified humane, all these other uh, feel-good labels, right? Unfortunately, there's very little difference between the practices on a supposedly alternative farm compared to a more conventional farm. Free range is a popular label for turkey meat, and there is this, this, this kind of romanticized notion that if we can just get the animals out of the confinement buildings, uh, just get the animals out onto pasture, this will alleviate all the issues. It's all that's needed for an animal to have a happy life. Well, there is so much that's not taken into consideration with this. There's uh, extremes of weather, when there's harsh weather, when it's uh, exceedingly hot, um, heavy rain, freezing temperatures, cold wind, sleet, snow, any kind of extreme weather, outdoor operations may not have adequate indoor space for the birds to get out of the weather. And in nature, turkeys would seek out natural barriers to bad weather. They'd get it under the trees or under bushes or the slopes in the terrain to break the wind or get to higher ground. When there's thousands of birds overcrowded in a flat, muddy outdoor pen, they're not able to escape the weather. So they have to endure whatever weather is happening in a miserable, you know, muddy pin. They're more susceptible to viruses and diseases and predators. They can't escape from predators in those conditions. Turkey farming does not provide for a bird's complex needs, and the result is a miserable, short life, no matter the label. When I was researching for my book, my book called The Ultimate Betrayal that's about this issue, The Humane Hoax, I visited Animal Place, a farmed animal rescue sanctuary in Grass Valley, California, and I got to meet this awesome turkey named Dakota. And the skin and and um, that wrinkly skin around a turkey's beak and neck and face, that's called the snood and waddle. And when we were approaching Dakota, his uh, snood and waddle, that skin around his face, was this beautiful blue. It was kind of this brilliant bluish purple. And as we got closer and started talking to him and kind of acknowledging the turkeys, that those folds of skin, they turned pink and then this dazzling red. It was so amazing to me. It's this amazing talent that turkeys have. They can change the, the skin color and it's kind of an indicator of their mood. What an incredible thing. I mean, it was just so beautiful. And I remember Dakota puffed up his his arc of white feathers, all those white, beautiful white feathers around his body kind of puffed him up and it looked really cool. He was just so beautiful and amazing. But as we got closer, I noticed that Dakota's feet 
were terribly deformed. His toes just looked like these swollen stumps. And we were told that Dakota had been rescued from a free-range facility where 20,000 birds were overcrowded in these outdoor pens, and workers had not only painfully debeaked the, the turkeys, removed a portion of their beak, but they had also cut off his toes. It's called detoing, and it's a unique form of torture that is specific to turkey farming, where they cut off the first digit or two of each toe on their foot when they're just babies. And this is so their talons don't grow in. And this, I mean, it must have been just an excruciating experience for a young turkey. It must have been so painful. So why do they do this? So because the turkeys are so overcrowded, even in these outdoor free-range facilities, and they're brutally handled, and, you know, the turkeys, they're stressed out, they're scared, and they use their talons to defend themselves. And that can, of course, be dangerous to workers and to the other birds, but rather than treating them humanely and giving them the space that they need... The industry has deemed it more convenient and profitable to cut off not just the nail, but the first and sometimes second section of the turkey's toe so that that talon won't grow in. And they do this without anesthesia. They use crude implements like scissors or branch trimmers. It's a really common practice, even with labels like humane and free range. And that open wound can get infected, it can swell, making it painful for the turkeys to walk. It can cause lifelong pain. If a turkey is treated with kindness, has plenty of space, then there is no problem. He won't use his talons, he won't feel fearful like he has to defend himself. You would never see that happen on a farmed animal sanctuary. So this detoing is just this horrible horrible practice that is specific to turkey farming. So there are other humane labels that are popular as well. A specific example is the largest turkey producer in the United States is Butterball. They produce 1.5 billion pounds of turkey meat annually, and all Butterball's products have the American Humane Certified label. And of course, this makes consumers feel that conditions must be significantly improved for these turkeys, right? That the butterball turkeys are having a healthier life, uh, it's a more humane product. But what does this label really mean for the millions of condemned turkeys that are currently awaiting the holiday mass slaughter? So this label's requirement, the American Humane Certified label, is so lax that most of the requirements are already in, just in place in conventional turkey farming, like basic provisions requiring food and water, adequate food and water. Well, yeah, they're giving them food, they're fattening them up to be slaughtered. So they already get food. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the requirements are so industry friendly, right? 
and so under this American Humane Certified label, there's no requirements for them to have access to the outside, so they're not free range. Uh, they live in the windowless indoor buildings, that is standard. The birds can still be debeaked and detoed. They are still bred to become painfully overweight. They still go to the same horrifying death as all the other non-certified turkeys. So what's the difference? The only tangible difference required to award this label is just a few meager more inches of living space than the non-certified turkeys. That's it. So the stocking density requirements, or how crowded the birds are, the birds are required to have one square foot of space for every 7.88 pounds of bird. <laughs> and, and this is only slightly more space than the typical industry standard. So basically, they just put a few less birds in the building. That's it. And while... That's slightly better than nothing at all. Yes, please give them more space. It shouldn't be, I mean, that that minimal a change, that shouldn't justify a humane label. That should not be all that is needed to meet the requirements for a humane label. It's clearly deceiving customers. I mean, customers see this label and they think that there are significant improvements in the experience of that turkey, that that turkey's life is better when really it's not. Consumer fraud is not too strong a statement to attach to this. And as I say in the article, this is nothing more than humane washing to cover up the inexcusable and horrifying reality of confining and killing animals. So all that I've been talking about up until now is just the industry standard cruelty, the day-in and day-out cruelty of how the birds live and how they die in the slaughterhouse. I haven't even gotten into that, and I'm, and I'm not going to, and it's no different for whatever label. They all go to the same slaughterhouse. But then there's also the added cruelty of how the turkeys are treated by the workers. UPC recently reported on an undercover investigation uh, that happened this year. It was an investigation of Plainville Farms where workers were videotaped just doing uh, horrible, horrible things to turkeys. They were kicking and stomping turkeys. They were throwing them around, uh, hitting them with iron bars, stomping on their heads. I mean, just the worst things that you can imagine or can't even imagine. Callous, brutal, heartless treatment. And this farm was selling this turkey meat under a humane label, on the website, it said that the birds were raised in a stress-free environment, and these birds were sold at Whole Foods. So the humane hoax is real. The labels lie. The websites and the slogans will tell you a different story from reality. But the reality is that there is, there's just, there's no humane way to confine and kill animals for food. So I also want to talk about an, a different element to all this when we're, we're contemplating and considering the Thanksgiving turkey. And this is a philosophy that my husband Kojin and I call visceral veganism. 
The traditional way to serve the dead animal, the dead bird, is to pack the turkey's body with stuffing, right? That's the traditional way. You make uh, bread stuffing and you stuff it into the bird. Well, this is done through the bird's disemboweled rectal cavity, okay? The anus is removed, the internal organs are removed, but let's face it, it's basically stuffing food up a dead bird's rectum. I mean, this is, it's, oh, it's such a repugnant revelation when you really stop and reflect on it, right? I mean, the, the visceral reaction to this is, should be, disgust. Uh, animals' bodies are very similar to ours, and the thought of eating out of someone's rump <laughs> should should really be seen as ugh, just filthy and offensive and distasteful. I mean, when you really, really think about it and consider it, eating any dead body is just really revolting. But this particular method of eating a whole bird stuffed up his, yeah, ugh, it's just particularly ghastly <laughs> and just so unnecessary. Why? Ooh. So visceral veganism really exposes the disgust, the disgusting reality of eating animals. Okay, enough of all that. Let's create a new tradition of compassion. Traditions change, traditions shift, even when they seem so set in stone. In the recent past, the majority of U.S. citizens supported dowries for daughters and human slavery. I mean, it's, it's so hard to believe that these offensive and horrible and tightly held traditions were so recently in our past, but they're considered abhorrent now, as they should. So I, I want to believe, I want to hold the vision that in another 150 years, 100 years, maybe even less, people will look back and say, how, how could a dead bird in the middle of the dining room table have ever been, how could that have ever been? a traditional symbol of gratitude and family. Let's let the tradition evolve to one of kindness and let's resolve to shed no blood in the name of gratitude, in the name of family. We can create a new tradition. We can host a vegan Thanksgiving dinner for friends, for family. It could be an intimate gathering with just close friends or family or, or a large community potluck. However you decide to celebrate gratitude, let's be brave. Let's be forward-thinking enough to initiate a new tradition of compassion with a fully vegan meal at Thanksgiving. There's so many delicious vegan options now for holiday centerpieces, all the different plant-based roasts. Uh, there's so many to choose from now. And even a large uh, a stuffed pumpkin or other large squash can also make a really beautiful centerpiece. All the traditional sides can be made vegan easily with non-dairy milks, non-dairy butters, other plant-based alternatives. There's an abundance of recipes online. 
there's even vegan eggnog and I can I guess that's more Christmas but I start drinking it now I I personally love the stuff I think it's delightful so these things can change and things are changing Kojin and I actually saw a television commercial recently. I can't remember what the product was or what what they were selling, but it was a family and they were preparing and serving and eating a Thanksgiving meal, but we didn't see a turkey. We didn't even see like slices of meat. The only food that was shown were the sides. That would have been unheard of just a few years ago. And, and Koji and I both commented on it right away, right after the commercial, we both noticed. We were like, wait a minute, I don't think there was a turkey. Did you see a turkey? So we can still have the, the holiday, we can still have the rituals, we can still have the nostalgia and the time-honored traditions, just veganized, just without violence, without killing so I even, I even love how the turkey is the symbol of this holiday. I don't think that needs to change. They're such a beautiful bird. I love turkey decorations. Their coloring is just perfect for this time of year. All that needs to change is the violence. Just let this beautiful bird live free, live free of human-imposed suffering and violence. So I'll wrap up here by quoting from my article, the last part of my article. I said, Tradition should uplift and strengthen a community. As long as a tradition causes suffering, it's hindering our entire society's ability to thrive. By practicing compassion, love, and kindness, we can create a society where our holiday traditions facilitate a better world for ourselves and for all species on Earth. So as I wrap up, I want to mention a fantastic book that looks deeply into this issue, into turkeys and tradition, and it's called More Than a Meal, The Turkey in History, Myth, Ritual, and Reality. And it's by Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes if you'd like to go and order it. It's a great read for the Thanksgiving holiday time. And uh, I hope that you check that out. So let's be the brave ones. Let's be the change makers. Let's break the cycle of violence and create a new tradition of kindness and compassion. And know that by doing this, you're creating a new tradition that benefits society. It benefits animals. It benefits our psyche. It benefits our well-being. I hope that you have a really happy holiday this year. And please, make your Thanksgiving vegan. <laughs>